Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. The all-new Andre Architect Profit Course is here. It's a comprehensive, a seven-part, self-directed online training program for busy architects. It's based on the P2P financial management system for architects endorsed by the AIA. You can learn more and register today at entrearchitect.com slash profit course. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 267, and it's a fight club, a building science fight club, with Christine Williamson. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, Gusto. Gusto is refreshingly easy payroll, benefits, and HR for the modern small business. RCAT the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more at rcat.com, and FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work you love. Christine Williamson, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. It's nice to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, we have mutual friends. My friend, um, uh, Foster Lyons. Uh, it was a very funny story. I was actually introduced to your name 
through my friend um, Bob Swinburne, Robert Swinburne. I don't know if you know Robert, but he follows you on Instagram, and he's an architect up in Vermont, a Blue Time Collaborative and Vermont architect, and so he's pretty active on social media. Um, and I recently had a um, somebody on talking about Instagram, Kevin Costello of The Ranch Mine. I was on and we were talking about um, Instagram and Bob said, well, you have to get uh, Christine Williamson on. She's, she's got a great Instagram uh, channel. So, so uh, I went over there and I looked at it and I said, well, I definitely have to have Christine on. This is going to be great. And so I reached out to you. We scheduled this podcast. And then the following week, um, Foster, Foster Lyons was doing a, a, an AIA presentation uh, at the local AIA chapter. And he was, showing his trip to Paris and, uh, and, and kept showing pictures of, of you, which I didn't realize it was you. And then he, he tagged you on one of the images and it said building science fight club on Instagram. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I just, I just scheduled that with Christine. So it's, it's very, uh, very good to have you here. Providential. Yes. Yeah. 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 Foster's yeah. such a good guy. My goodness. He, yeah. uh, he has his hand in a lot of things. Kind of, kind of neat. Yeah, I like Foster. We, we've we've been friends a long time. He's uh, he's given us many many seminars for the chapter, uh, but we've had dinner with him at the at Cran Symposium, and you know he's a great guy. He's a really good guy. Um, so if you're listening, listening, Foster, you're a good guy. <laughs> he already knows. Yeah, he, he knows, knows that. Um, <laughs> and and you should everybody else who's listening should go go check out Foster. He's doing some great stuff in building science as well. Uh, all right, let me give give a, a little bit more information about you, uh, Christine. You're a, a senior associate with Building Science Corporation, which is a building science consulting and full-service architecture firm specializing in building technology for all types of buildings. It was founded by Joe Stebrick. So if anybody recognizes that name, Joe Stebrick or Building Science Corporation, that's where Christine's working. Um that's one of my go-to sources for how to detail my buildings properly. Whenever I'm looking for that specific detail and how to do something the right way, that's where I go. And so you should Fun fact go ahead. that you might know is um, Joe Stebrick is not only the founder of the company, um, but he's also my dad. I, I, don't know, I don't know if you knew that. I did um, know that, yeah. I like to tell people because he's sort of a larger than life character. So I don't, I don't, if he comes up in conversation like he did just now, yep. I don't like for people to be taken off guard. They might say something and then, uh, nope, I, <laughs> and I, like, oh, shoot. I, that's not something I wanted to say to his daughter. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, that's a good, good idea. But I did know that. I did know that. Um, I was going to let you talk about that in your origin story. So you've introduced that as your dad. Um, and, and Joe is, is like you said, he's sort of a, a, a legend in architecture. You sort of, when you think building science, you think Joe Stebrick. So, um, it's, it, you have uh, a, a lot of background, so I can't wait to hear your origin story and how, how this all happened. Um, but, but, um, you graduated for, with a bachelor of arts, uh, from Princeton and a master of architecture from new school in architecture and design, uh, in San Diego. And, uh, and you're in, um, if, if you who are listening if you're an Instagram fan, you've probably bumped into her. If you're an architect and, and an Instagram fan, you probably found Building Science Fight Club, which is an account um, that posts on building science and construction for architects. If you haven't yet uh, followed Christine there, you should. If you're not an Instagram fan and you're not have, you don't have that Instagram account yet, you should. This is a reason to sign up. You should go sign up and follow Christine at Building Science Fight Club. Let's say uh, that she just she expresses her feelings about design uh, with building science and architecture over there. 
uh, and has a great series of posts where she sort of uh, shares some sketches and provides evaluation and and some suggested solutions and does some some live video you know on site showing a specific thing. So it's it's a great post. And we recently spoke with Kevin Costello over at the Ranch Mine, uh, episode two sixty three talking about Instagram and how he shared his strategies for finding clients on Instagram. Building Science Fight Club is another great example of how to use Instagram effectively. So, Christine, I shared a little, very little tiny bit about you, uh, just to give a, a little snippet of who you are and where you came from. But I'd love to hear the rest of the origin story. Um, so go back to where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect, and share that story of your journey to where you find yourself today. Well, um, first thing I should say is that I am actually not an architect. I have a master's in architecture, um, but I, and I've completed my IDP, but not all those exams. So, um, I take that really seriously and I mean, not seriously enough to have studied and done the exams, (laughs) but, um, I take it really seriously in that, um, I, 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 uh, anyway, people, people often misdescribe me as an architect and I, and I don't have, I I appreciate that because the listeners care and it matters to people. They They, they want to know. I didn't really understand the hang up until I started working for a really fabulous architect. I was still in school actually. Um, maybe, maybe y'all are familiar with her, Chris Benedict in New York city. And, um, she was wonderful and she's, she was pretty intense on, uh, on, on that kind of stuff. And, um, and she worked really hard and it's, um, it's a profession and, and the, there are certain, that means something. There are certain definitions. So we should, we should be precise in our, in our language. Yes, I agree. I, you know, that's a great debate. Um, and I could go on forever about that. I, I actually feel that once you finish architecture school, you are an architect, you're just not a licensed architect, but that's a debate that we can have another day and oh, another I time. <laughs> Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it is it is a title that we earn, and so it is important. Um, but I I do appreciate clarifying that because because the listeners, many of the listeners, do do care, and when we and we if we get that wrong, we hear about it. So it's great that you. Oh man, yeah, I that. got so annoyed. I was at a wedding, and in a prof- in a non professional context, I will occasionally call myself an architect right. yep. to uh, to end the conversation. Yeah. You know, if somebody's like, you know, what do you do for a living? Actually, I usually don't say architect. I say architect texture. Um, but it's really, I don't want to talk about it. It's that's the short answer. (laughs) And uh, I had a conversation at a wedding with some woman and I explained just as I'm doing now that I wasn't licensed. And she was like, Oh yeah, me neither. And she taught to describe herself (laughs) as an architect. Anyway, stories for a, for a different day. But, um, yeah, I, I never really thought I'd be in this profession. I graduated from architecture school by the skin of my teeth. It was, um, not a super, well, I mean, I don't know. It was enjoyable because I was young. So that was nice. Uh, but, um, but I really struggled through school. I, I describe it to other people as it's being, I suppose being, uh, the difference between really liking music and being a musician yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, those are two really different things. And I've, I've always really liked architecture, but, um, and I, and I think I have pretty good taste, but having good taste and being able to produce, um, beautiful architecture are two different things. Um, when I was in school, I took a job working for Chris Benedict um, in New York City, fantastic architect there, um, runs a pretty small firm, which was such a good fit while in school. It was everybody's sort of CEO and secretary all at once. Um, and uh, Chris was a big believer in putting people in the field. So I was 
in the field a lot those um, those early years, and that's when I when I really developed a love for how buildings actually come together, and the connection between what we draw on paper and what we submit for approval, uh, and what actually gets um, gets built. And that's really where I saw the magic. And uh, and I was pretty good at that. I was not very good at school, but I was pretty good at the site work. And so that's that's uh, oddly enough, even though I come from a, a family of building science, uh, it was all around what, what really made me interested in it was, um, those early days being on site with, um, with Chris. That's, she, uh, that's very interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. so as a child, were you sort of on the field, in the field and on, in construction sites and kind of doing that or, or because your dad was doing it, you sort of didn't want to do it. You weren't part of that. No, I wasn't super interested. My parents are divorced. I grew up with my mom. And so I didn't really, uh, I didn't, I didn't see it as much. I didn't, mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the sort of acad- the love for academics in general and having a disciplined mind certainly came from my dad. He's a great teacher and a great storyteller. He, I, I, I was like, dad, what's calculus one day at dinner? I think I was probably 13 years old and, um, we were at the keg mansion in Toronto. If anybody knows that, I don't think it still exists, but, um, anyway, he proceeded to like pull out a pen and teach me calculus, pretty basic, but still it was calculus on the, and he's drawing on the, on the, like the paper cover of the of the tablecloth. And some guy at a table afterwards listening to this for like an hour was like, did you just teach your daughter calculus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my poor brother was, uh, I don't know, probably pretty bored. Um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I certainly got an, a, a curious mind from, from my dad, but not, um, it wasn't until much, much later that I was interested in, um, in pursuing this as a career and, and seeing how broad the building industry is in general, that there are, just because you don't excel at a particular part of school doesn't mean there's not room for you in this industry. Absolutely. Um, and I view the industry as not just not just architecture, but I view myself as being part of the building industry in general. Because um, a lot of things intersect here, uh, and design is, um, is one part of it. And what I do is design. It's just not the design that people always imagine when you when they hear the word architect or architecture. Right. Yep. It's still design. So what did, what did you what did you do? What did you uh, study in at Princeton? Because that wasn't architecture. Oh, super practical. I studied French, uh, <laughs> which I studied because I which probably helped me. when you went to Paris. It did actually. It really did. It was that's a funny story. I probably shouldn't tell it on the podcast, but. Um, it was well. I will anyway. It's uh, it's funny how Americans I think have real insecurity over being not um, particularly sophisticated, um, especially abroad. And so I was in this group of very accomplished people and architects and designers, and I was feeling really intimidated actually at first. And um, then when we when we got to this meeting with the architect uh, who's in charge, really great guy in charge of maintaining Versailles. Um, and he spoke, we found that he spoke only French. So he had a, there was a gentleman that was translating and uh, of course I speak French. So well, we bonjour. Another trans- translator. And, here I, and I watched people who were just sort of wither in <laughs> shame. And it, it was, anyway, it was funny for me. Instant so credibility. Funny. Yeah. 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 But anyway, I picked it cause I, I, in, in school cause I, I spoke it already and I, I found that, um, it helped to uh, take something that I knew I would pass. <laughs> yeah. I found I found school uh, at the at the higher level very challenging. So it was um, 
a, a delight to be out of it finally. Yeah. And then, so what inspired you to, to take on architecture with a master's? Um, well, I went into sort of general business. I graduated undergrad at a, it, it was a great economy and, um, it just, you know, how everything seems easy when you're so young and it just seemed like I could do whatever. It didn't matter what you majored in. It just, everything was great. So, um, so I got a job in Texas. I was sort of in, in marketing, I guess, in general marketing. And I really liked Texas a lot. I managed to find my way back, uh, back to Texas much later. Um, but I did not like the job at all. And I, my sort of idea of being a businesswoman, whatever that was, was, um, I, I just, I wasn't good at it. I didn't like it. I didn't want to be promoted. I didn't, I didn't envy anybody else's job. So it was, um, I knew I needed to make a change. I felt like such a failure and I thought, well, maybe I'll try architecture. And, um, and I started actually Boston architectural college and, um, which I picked on purpose because you could work while you were in, um, while you were in school. And I thought, well, that this would be a good way of making sure that I really liked it before, um, you know, graduating, getting a degree that uh, left me somewhere I didn't, um, I didn't want to be. And, um, that proved mostly true. And I, I loved it. It was, uh, it was wonderful. After, after my first year, I got hired by Chris Benedict in New York city and she hired me. I had no portfolio. I had no experience. I knew nothing. And, um, she just had a good instinct, I guess. And, um, and I can't believe she, I just can't believe she hired me, but it was, uh, it was so wonderful. I am a huge admirer of her to this, to this day. I've, I've never worked for such a principled person. It was, um, it was really, really a great experience and, um, that I'm very grateful for it. Uh, even now, even yeah. now. Yeah. So, so how did you go from what, what happened after Chris Benedict, what, after you were finished there, where did you go? Did you then go over to building science or was there a step between that? No, I mean, I, there were lots of steps, I guess I was, um, I was still, I was working for Chris while I was in school and I was, um, I didn't want to move back to Boston to, um, get a job at some firm that was, you know, basically making copies and filing things when I had a real job at, with Chris at my, I started with her in the summer. Um, so I didn't leave Chris. I stayed in New York and I would commute back to Boston for my class. <laughs> I scheduled all my studios for Mondays. And, um, so I'd come back to Boston on Sunday, uh, Sunday night and then have class on Monday. And then I'd catch the like 1030 if I could Greyhound bus. But if I missed the 1030 bus, I'd have to take the Feng Hua, the Chinatown bus back to New York on Monday night. I'd be dropped off at like 2am on the side of the road in canal street and then have to take the subway and go back. Anyway, it got exhausting and I was doing my projects on the, on the bus, which is not awesome. And it just got to be a lot. So I ended up um, transferring. I, I couldn't stay at BAC with, um, without working full time. And I didn't want to take a, 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 a different job. So I transferred to new school in California. And, um, and the only reason I transferred there was because they would accept every single one of my credits. So that was the qualification. I was, okay. I went there, I was finished in eight months. And, um, and afterwards I really wanted to go back and work for, for Chris actually. But, um, New York is a, it's a tough place to be. Yep. I also was, was tired of having roommates and, and a lot of it. So I ended up working in getting a job in consulting with, um, with Jenny Elsner, WJE, 
which was also a great experience. Um, they had an opening in Boston and one in Dallas. And I picked Dallas because I had fond, uh, fond experiences in Texas from years ago then. And, um, ended up working for a really great woman called Fiona Aldis, Australian building scientist, also with a background in architecture. I actually taught architecture for a little while, I think maybe at Ball State. Well, anyway, she's um, also wonderful. And um, it was it was great. WJE, some of those big consulting firms are terrific for, especially for, for young people young in their profession, because they get you out to big job sites a lot. Uh, they've got a lot of junior staff, and so you're doing stuff that's uh, you don't really get a chance to do often later in your career. Like, I, we had a client that essentially paid me to be there every day that they were installing the below-grade waterproofing system of a of a giant hospital. And when you're there every day, yeah. you uh, learn things that you that you wouldn't otherwise otherwise learn when you, when you, if you're in a firm, what do you get? Maybe a site visit or two yeah. to take a look at what they're doing below grade. Right. As, um, as a favor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this was, um, so this was a really, this, th- that was a, that was a great experience. And that, I mean, that was just the beginning. There were, there were all kinds of, uh, all kinds of, I, I got a lot of field experience that I otherwise wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have been able to get. So yeah. that was, uh, that was wonderful. So was that your introduction, your formal introduction to building science and the, and the, the, the that yeah. industry? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's where the where do you really draw the lines? There's, I I think certain some architects are steeped in it. Chris certainly is. She builds extraordinarily energy efficient buildings in New York City. I mean, like crazy energy efficient. They use something like eighty five percent less. Um, uh, energy for heat and hot water than a typical New York building. And she does it for zero upfront, uh, capital costs, which is, um, uh, another story. It's very interesting how she does this cool stuff. But, um, anyway, you, you have to know building science to, uh, right. to do that. And, um, you have to know construction. You have to be in the field. If you're going to, if you're really going to do this, and I mean, really do it, not do a mall, pay somebody to run a model and say that it is saves X percent off of, the worst building that we can legally build. Um, but actually, actually do it. You need to know building science. And so I suppose it started then, but, um, my knowledge of construction was, um, was certainly, certainly at WJE was, uh, that was the exponential part of the learning curve for sure. Yeah. I, and that's, that's, I'm glad you, you talked about that. And, and, um, because that's what I want to talk about. I mean, that's, that's where, when, when I heard you were coming on the show and we set this up, what I wanted to sort of, pull from you and and get your thoughts on is how do we make this more integral in the practice of architecture because i think architects most architects they love this stuff you know when they read the manuals and they read the books and they go on the website and they see all these great details and how to how to finely detailed uh, a project for you know energy or weather or infiltration um, it's really super interesting. But then we go back to our studios and we just design it the way we've always designed it, you know, the way we were taught. And so maybe it's generations of past technologies that we're still designing today because we haven't sort of put together the processes or the workflows to bring in the the new knowledge and the new science into what we're doing. So I would love to understand how we can do that. Do you have any thoughts on how we can sort of integrate, get to that point where we are designing it like Chris designs, where it's just the way we do it. It's not some special way of designing. It's just the way we design architecture. Uh, 
I mean, do I have thoughts? I have many, many thoughts. <laughs> yes, I, I think, so I think a few things. One, I think that we actually do a pretty good job now. Um, I think partially we're in the business of, especially on, on, the, on the original design side, we're in the business of drawing things that don't exist yet. Right. And um, we imagine all kinds of things. And one thing we imagine is perfection. And this is, it's an iterative process, right? So we're always, there isn't a destination of perfect knowledge. It's, it's all, we're always going to be learning more. So I think actually in general, we do a pretty good job of, um, contending with competing values to, uh, make good design decisions in general. Um, are we always learning? Yeah. Do we cringe sometimes when we look back at old reports or old, um, old projects. Yeah. Sometimes I was, I'm working on a building right now that was a long time in the design phase. And it's a, a set of drawings that I first reviewed five years ago. Well, there's some things <laughs> differently. I've learned a few things in the past five years. So some of it makes me, makes me cringe a little bit. Um, anyway, but, uh, no, I think we do a pretty good job. I think the, um, we're, we're balancing a lot of competing competing values and, uh, enclosure design is, is, um, is one of those values among many, many, many things and deciding how to, how to weigh things, um, is, is really hard. Uh, and I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's a, a, ever an arrival point. Um, I'm not sure. I, I feel like I could talk for hours on this, but, um, so, so is it more about, sort of just bringing that information into, uh, into your daily practice that, that, you know, visiting the websites and, or subscribing to specific blogs or subscribing to specific magazines or reading specific books in order for this to become more ingrained as part of the process. So yes, we are doing, we're doing it way better than we used to, you know, just standard practice is better. You know, codes are, are, infinitely better than they were just five years ago. Um, and, and so it is, the profession is, is, is bringing that technology, uh, as intentionally. Um, but is it just a matter of exposure of doing, of, of having more of that knowledge being exposed to it? Yeah. I mean, I think it also depends on how you learn, right? Um, for some people, the idea of coming, home after a long day at a, at a firm, especially if you're a junior employee at a, at a larger firm is, um, well, even not, even if you've just started your own firm and you're, you're doing everything yourself, you've set up your business, you you have to, I don't know, manage QuickBooks in addition to, um, figuring out what to do on your, on your own building. Yeah. Um, and the idea of coming home after all of that, after you've taken the ARDs, passed the test, and now you need to crack another textbook. Yeah. Oh, man, I mean, that's not how I learned building science. Um, I, I, I learned from talking to people and walking in the field and, and, um, that, anyway, but everybody's, everybody's different in how they learn. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, I, I was noticing like if you, there, there's some really great resources. If you can read like say one article a week on, um, either buildingscience.com or green home building or something like that. You can, you can get, you can get a lot out of that. Um, I started building science fight club because precisely because I didn't think architect, I think it, it's hard for architects to, to learn this stuff 
given all of the other demands on their time. And I learned by walking job sites. So I, I viewed Instagram as kind of a, a virtual job site where I would take a photo of something that I'm seeing on a, on, a, on a job site, whether it's mine or one that I'm just seeing. And then I describe the technical principles at play, just like I would uh, hear from my mentors when I would walk job sites with them together. So it's sort of a little bit of a virtual job site. And then I learn a ton when I'll, I'll comment on something and learn from comments. There's a, there's a whole little community around that's developed around this that can tell you had really, really taught me a lot, even in this, like, well, that's not how we do our foundation drains in Maine. Um, or you should know that it's really different between residential and commercial construction. And here's how. So, um, anyway, that's, that's how I learned through, through talking with people. And, um, there are a lot more digital tools to be able to do that. Listening to podcasts is, um, is another, so there's, there's a lot that's available. I think actually what we have is an abundance of knowledge, what is difficult yeah. is sifting between, um, I suppose, being careful in who we choose as our mentors and as our teachers, um, being very careful in that. That's, that's very difficult. There are people who are very smart and who we might like, who maybe don't know uh, what they know about their, what, they're, what they happen to be speaking about is, um, is maybe limited. Yep. Even, and even though you might like a person um, or they seem credible to you, you might not be getting great information. I think actually that's a, that's a, a much bigger problem for homeowners um, and for, for any, any kind of building owner and developer than it is for, um, for architects, because at least we have some sort of foundation and a community that we can ask about this stuff. Hey, is this, uh, what do you think about this? Um, but it's a lot of, it's much, much harder for, um, for owners. Yeah. I, I, I think help. these online communities are, are a uh, tremendous value to the profession and, and to homeowners and building owners. Um, the entree architect community, our private Facebook group is so, uh, interactive and so, um, active that when you have a question of any sort, you post a yeah. question in there and you get so much because it's private and it's only architects. It's you get so much positive, encouraging, supportive feedback that say there's there's very uh, rarely conflict. There's different opinions, but there's there's no I, well I don't allow the conflict. So 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 it's 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 it, we we want to have the the conflicting opinions. We want to have the debate, but we want to be respectful. And so that and that and that culture in the community within that group, and I'm sure within many of the communities that are out there. Um, that that's, you can gain a lot from that, from those communities and the support that come with them. Oh yeah. And context really matters, right? When you're speaking with somebody who's using their real name and um, has a biography and a history and, um, and you know it and it's public, um, or public within, within whatever group you're, you're right. dealing with, uh, people's, uh, people's, it sets a different tone. People's behavior is, is very different. You get some of the, I'll get some of the crazy stuff a little, a little bit on, on Instagram because it's a deliberately, Building Science Fight Club is deliberately public um, and open to anybody. And there's also a very broad range with um, some, sometimes it's just curious homeowners and then a lot of it are actual professionals. Um, and there's a very big difference between how they engage with something, <laughs> and what, their, what their experience is. Um, but uh, for the most part, yeah, people tend to be more respectful when, it's um, the interaction is akin to meeting at a, a or socializing after a, a professional conference versus 
um, some, some stranger that you're interacting with online on Twitter or whatever it may be. Right. Right. And, and you've intentionally named it fight club. So it's like, you're yeah. sort of welcoming that, that vibe. I, know, I didn't really, I didn't, I just thought it was a cool name. It Actually, is. Foster. I didn't now. I mean, now it's a thing I can't change it, but, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't mean for it to be combative. I meant for it to be more, uh, in the trenches of building science anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love the name. I think it's a great brand. I think, you know, whether it sort of invites that culture or not, it's, it's a, it's a memorable brand. And so I think it's, I think it's very valuable. I think it was a good, good move to do that. We'll be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors at Entree Architect. Gusto, RCAT, and fresh books. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. And old school payroll providers, they just don't get it. They aren't built for the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. They're different. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy for you to get things right. You no longer have to be a big company to get the great technology, those great benefits, and the great service for your team. To help support this show, the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today, and you'll get three months, three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to entrearchitect.com gusto and claim your free three months of payroll processing today. entrearchitect.com slash gusto. For years, when I needed information on manufacturers' products, I headed straight to Google. Then I sifted through the hundreds of results to find the one or two that might be the link to the product that I'm looking for. And more often than not, the link was not what I was seeking. It was outdated or didn't meet my requirements, so I went back to the search engine and started all over again. And this could take all afternoon to find the two or three products that I need. Does this sound familiar? I know you've done this. There is a better way. It's called RCAT. RCAT.com. A-R-C-A-T.com. Find what you're looking for in seconds. Building product information, BIM, CAD, and custom specifications using their exclusive tool, SpecWizard. So make RCAT part of your efficient project workflow. Just type in entrearchitect.com slash RCAT in the internet browser and add that to your favorites. Just click that little favorites button, make RCAT your favorites, and then visit RCAT for every project. Make it part of your workflow. Find what you need fast and make more money on every project. entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. That's entrearchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. Getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice just seconds after starting their free trial. And the same goes for time tracking, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. It's fast and easy. And if you need help at any time, free award-winning customer service is just a phone call or an email away. And if you ever have second thoughts, don't worry. 
On top of our free trial here for Entree Architect listeners, you get a 30-day money-back guarantee so you don't ever have to worry about choosing FreshBooks. So give FreshBooks a try. Try it free for 30 days. Just visit EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks and then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's EntreeArchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access your free, unlimited 30-day trial. Gusto, RCAP, and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. As you're describing your past and your experience in architecture and building science, you're talking a lot about being out in the field and the value of that. Um, do you feel that that should be more integrated into the education of architects, that, that we should be, as part of our licensure, uh, be required to spend hours in the field? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough question. I don't, in that there's sort of two parts of it. Um, and the answer is it depends on what we're trying to achieve with architectural education. And um, the profession is extremely broad. And there are a whole lot of people who are not interested in, in construction. Um, they are not interested in that part of design and you know, far be it for me to tell them they have to be. Uh, do I think it's extremely beneficial for, for most um, practitioners? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. And I think, um, I suppose it would be beneficial. I, I'm just trying to think about the context in which it would happen. I, I had a couple great studio teachers um, one who was wonderful. She graduated from the GSD and she spent 10 years working for Turner, um, construction. And, um, so she took us out to, to a few job sites, but it, it didn't even, even I was interested in this and it didn't mean much to me. It was just, it was just all a big mess. Um, maybe if I'd had more exposure to it, that would have been different. Maybe if, uh, maybe if architecture school has you actually building things, um, or, or participating in that as some, some of them do, which I think is neat, but I mean, it's a big country. It's a big world. I think there's room for a lot of different, um, different types of programs. I would like to see, uh, and I don't, I don't know what this is, how this is, how this relates to accreditation or anything, but I think it would be nice to, um, to have people develop programs that, uh, involve this stuff more that, that people, interested, the young people interested in that type of career path can, um, can choose. So I think probably some of the requirements are a little bit limiting now. Architecture school is very, very, very studio oriented and design focused. Um, and uh, that's very challenging for people like me to make it through school. Um, but I mean, should they organize the profession around my personal life? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> or organize the education around my likes. I, I don't know. But um, yeah, I think being in the field is really nice. The other thing that I think is extraordinarily helpful is learning the names of things. When, um, when you know what something is called and when you have to draw it, uh, you start to see it differently. I think those early times on job sites, I didn't know what stuff was called, so I, I didn't even see them. Right. Um, I couldn't have really told you what, what peers below grade were because I, I, I wouldn't, if I'd be on a job site while they're you know, doing an excavation and starting with the peers, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even see them because I didn't know what they were. I didn't, I didn't know what they were called. I didn't know how they worked. So you, 
once you start learning the names of things, you start seeing, you see things differently. You see things that you didn't see before. Yeah. And that's the value of being in the field. I mean, when, when, whether you are, uh, as an architectural intern or whatever they're being called today, um, out on a field, if you're working for an architect and you can get out into the field and, and see how buildings are actually being built, when you go back to, to the computer and you have to draw those things, you, you see them differently they're, they're yeah. Now you see how they've, how they interact with one another. But I think even more at a, even a higher level, if you can find time either before architecture school or during architecture school to actually have construction experience to get out into the field and swing a hammer, put these things t- together. And so you can actually see how they, they go together with your own hands that when you do go back into the architecture field and you're in, in your, uh, at, at your computer, now it's in you. You've done that. You know how that piece goes together and that and how it affects that. So it changes how you draw too. Yeah. In that, um, I mean, maybe not everybody, but I think that the the difference was um, I, I remember this transition where when you're in school, you're producing a, and I, I suppose for some, in some professions, um, but you're you're producing a final work, and your your goal is to end up at final renderings or whatever. I don't, I don't, anyway, please don't scrutinize me too seriously, serious, real architects out there. Um, but there's so much focus on the final product and what the space actually looks like, not how the space is, is built. And so when I, when I'm sketching something now, I sketch it in the order that it'll be built in. I'll sketch like, okay, so first the framing goes in, then we install this membrane, then we install, so I, I, I sketch it in the order that it'll be built. Yeah. And, um, that's, a I find that really, really helpful. But I, I noticed some of my early mentors did that and I was so confused by it because the, in school I would do the opposite. I'd say, okay, what do I want it to look like? Yeah. And then I had to just sort of fill in the details later. How can I, how can I get to that point? Um, that's a, that's, that's, I think a very tough way to design, but anyway. Yeah. So, so you, you would design the space that you want, or you design the elevations and what the elevations are going to look like. And then you ask yourself, well, how do I build that? What goes in the walls to make that space stand up? You know, how do we keep the weather out of that cool space that I just designed? And so you're sort of working backwards from a space back to how it's constructed rather than saying, okay, I want that space, but then let's start, start from the foundation you know, how does that foundation lead to the framing and how does that framing lead to the roof and how does the exterior enclosure wrap around that, uh, that framing in order to keep the weather out, um, ultimately ending up in that amazing space that you have originally created. Um, it, it's interesting to sort of think about it from those two different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you, um, so what are you doing now with Building Science um, Corporation? What is your position now? What do you do on a daily basis? Well, we do, um, I guess, three things. I do three things. Um, one is I investigate building failures. So when something has gone very wrong, uh, they people call somebody like me. We're usually not the first call. We're, um, we're a pretty small firm. We're very good, um, but we're small. And um, so for a lot of problems, people try to solve it locally. Um rather than, uh, than having me or one of my colleagues or more than one of us come and figure out um, what's gone wrong. When you're talking failures, you're talking about leaks and those kind of things where you're talking about enclosure failures or structural any, failures? Any kind of non-structural failure. So non-structural failures. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah. Now, sometimes these are related, right? Because yep. um, what to, almost all of these problems have to do with water. So a water problem can become a structural problem. But uh, mercifully, we are quite good at making our buildings not fall down. Now, um, we're pretty good at that. Uh, not not perfect. We that's a good structural engineer is very important to have. Yeah. But um, but uh, we're pretty good at, at handling the, the structural part and the fire part, too, actually. Um, we're not as good at keeping our buildings um, dry and comfortable. And so any type of non-structural failure is the stuff that we, um, that we look at. And for stuff that is very, very large and stuff that's very, very expensive and even stuff that's uh, just unique and special and one-off and uh, all, all kinds of failures, um, Sometimes there are odor failures. Those are the toughest ones. Actually, I was looking, I suppose I can speak about this. The um, Aspen Opera House uh, was a project my colleagues and I just did, uh, I guess, in the last year. And that one um, smelled like sewage, which is pretty inconvenient. Yes. And, uh, they couldn't figure out what was going on with that. So that was, uh, that was an interesting one. So was it, figu- what, did you figure it out? We did. The The tough one with odors is um, after we spent like a whole day there doing a bunch of tests, pressure mapping, all kinds of stuff. And we didn't know, we didn't know what the answer was. So you was. don't just walk around sniffing? Just, you, you, well, that's <laughs> sort of part of it. I, you did, you just follow your nose. pressurize different parts of the building. And then, yeah, you walk around smelling. It's crazy. <laughs> your nose is exhausted that, by the end of the yeah, day. I went to an Ivy League school and I'm smelling for farts and asking what the heck. <laughs> like, what did I do here? But, um, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy, uh, crazy problems. But every time I do a forensic investigation, every single time, I worry that I won't, um, I won't find the answer. And, uh, and that's only happened once, um, where I didn't know, I didn't, um, not that I, I didn't, I, I solved, I knew I could, I knew enough to solve the problem, but I didn't know the mechanism that was producing the, the particular leak um, in question. But um, yeah, so anyway, so part of part of what I do is forensic, and then. Um, the other part is new construction work, which is helping people avoid those types of problems in the first place. Um, but it's not so much, uh, I, I guess that's what I say to people who aren't in the profession who I'll meet on a, on an airplane or something like that. But uh, most of our failures are not, they're not really catastrophic failures. So what I'm mostly doing is helping people manage risk and decide, okay, um, suppose you are building a lot of buildings. Um, and you install a lot of windows and you have a particular technique. If you're a developer, say, and you install 10,000 windows a year, you know how many of those windows you have to go back and fix. You, that is a real number. You know what you're spending on repairing those and then all the associated costs of fixing damaged flooring or, you know, whatever else you've had to, you've had to fix or relocating a tenant or anyway, there's, you know what that number is. Um, well, there's a lot of different windows you can install and you can buy, and there's a lot of different ways that you can install it. So where is your sweet spot for risk? So I'll help, I'll help people building a lot of things decide, um, okay, well, our failure rate is, you know, 1%. Well, what, what would it take to get us from 1% to half a percent or half a percent to, you know, even less? And, um, and, and at a certain point you, you reach the point of diminishing returns, right? There's, we're not designing submarines. We're designing right. apartment buildings, houses, whatever, condos. It, it, and what you're designing matters. So how how comfortable you are in that position. I don't make the economic decision, um, but I provide the technical basis for um, for a lot of those a lot of those decisions. What kind of roof is going to work best in our 
in our environment, in our climate? Um, how do we want to how do we want to go about controlling for condensation? There's there's a bunch of ways of doing this. What's um, what's going to be best for for my particular situation? So that's um, that's the other part of it. And then a very small part of what I do now, but I'd, I'd like to make it a bigger part, is um, teaching and speaking. Um, mostly it's an informal part of what I do. The Instagram stuff is a total hobby. I do it on the weekends. It is nobody's paying me. It's I just right. like it. Um, uh, sometimes I get I get paid by a manufacturer to come and speak to um either architects or their group internally or something like that. But um, mostly it's the forensic stuff and the new construction consulting. Yeah. If you want to do um, more speaking and you want to build a platform around that, don't lose the Fight Club brand. <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're tempted to because, it, you know, because it's, it's very recognizable. Um, it, people will, will instantly have an idea of what they're going to expect. And then when they meet you, they'll realize that it wasn't what they had in their mind. And it'll it'll be a story that they'll be able to tell others. Um, it's oh, it's good. it's a great brand, and uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you like it. It was I, not a whole lot of thought went into yeah. it actually at the beginning, but I guess that's how a lot of social yeah. media stuff. Some does. of the best brands evolve from just from that. You just post something and it works, and you realize, oh, this is something that I should follow. I think it's I think it's something that you could build an entire platform around. Well, we'll see. I still I I really enjoy teaching uh, and speaking, but um, I'm not a it, the reason I like it is because I like what's behind it. I yeah. like the subject matter. I yeah. like, um, I, I like how, how difficult it is to make these, um, these decisions. I like that it's not simple. And, um, and I like, I, I like that challenge. So I like what underlies it. Um, that it's, I suppose I would like teaching about anything. Maybe I, I don't think I'd be as happy teaching something else. Kindergarten. I don't know. Maybe yeah. pretty cute. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, I could I could teach kindergarten. I, I I love teaching too, and that's one of the reasons why we built Entree Architect is because that's sort of where my passion led me. You know, I wasn't very intentional with it; it just sort of evolved from something that I started, and you know, a community evolved around it, and they encouraged me to kept go, keep going and keep going, and my passion for teaching kept me going and going, and it, I finally realized it was my purpose that this is what I'm here for. Did so. you Did you have good teachers? I did have good teachers. I just yeah, I a lot of people who teach had good teachers. Yeah, themselves. I would say that that my great my best teacher was my mom. You know that, and she wasn't a teacher. She was just someone who was very interested in learning, and always put me in in the, in the position of learning new things. She was very into, and still is very interested in in American history, and so hmm. you know constantly teaching me about American history. And later in life, realized that I have a love of American history and didn't realize realize it because mom sort of taught me all that. Um, but, but it's always been in me to sort of help, you know, that's, that's my purpose. My passion is I love the feeling I get, you know, selfishly that when I help somebody and they progress and they, and they get better, I feel good about it, you know? And so, so that right there is why you, and also I, I have the same desire to be helpful. Can't do legal work. I'm terrible <laughs> at legal yeah. stuff. So I just help everybody. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not your job here. Yeah. Anyway, I hate legal work. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah. And so I, I can, I can imagine that you're, you're very similar. That, that you enjoy this, and you've built this, uh, this Instagram channel because that's what you like to do. You like to help people. Short, show people some, some information, share your knowledge, and encourage others to share their knowledge, and, and sort of build this uh, profession of caring, sharing people. And I think, uh, I think you and I are both doing that. 
Yeah, and it's it's really neat. I think we live at an extraordinary time. Um, there are a lot of times I think we really get down on our on our industry. Uh, we really do, and I think it's. I understand how sometimes it. Um, I suppose it's accurate in some narrow areas, but in general, I think we forget the extraordinary resources we have available to us at this point in human history. Oh, yeah. Is um, we have an unbelievable amount of building materials to choose from, just the materials themselves. Um, we have an, I guess, an economic system in, in North America and really the rest of the world too that allows um, allows us to afford to spend money on housing in a way that has not been possible previously. Um, this is not to say that there are no world problems or anything like that, but um, the, our shelters, human habitations are, um, have gotten so much more comfortable. They've gotten cleaner. They've gotten, um, I think in a lot of ways more, no, maybe not more beautiful. I don't know. There's some really beautiful stuff out in it. <laughs> In, over the course of history, but um, it's all in evolution. We'll get no, back actually, there. No, actually, that's not true. We still have beautiful things, and a lot of those beautiful things are more accessible than they than they've ever been. So that stuff that we admire from ages past um, was wasn't available to everybody. Exactly. Not everybody got to live in the castle. That's right. Um, and I feel like my home is a castle. I think a lot of people feel that way. There's there's um, there's a tr- we've come a long way. Now it's very confusing, and our industry is extraordinarily segmented and specialized. And that I think in particular is um, a real challenge for architects. We have to contend with a lot, a lot of different, um, a, a lot of different things. You could spend your entire career designing hospitals and not get to the bottom of that well. Um, so it's, um, I, I have a lot of respect for, for architects, particularly residential architects who, who really have to have a hand in everything. Um, on the commercial side, you don't, you don't, you can sort of specialize yourself. I'm on healthcare or whatever it is, healthcare interiors. Uh, But, um, I, you know, I've been doing this for over a decade and I've been doing nothing but enclosure design. That's it. Just enclosure design. And I think that I probably only really started feeling confident about it within the past couple of years and competent. It was years before I felt like I was competent, which is a weird position to be in because I was, you know, being paid real money by real people. And I didn't consider myself to be entirely competent. Um, but you know, anyway, there's, there's a lot to learn and, and the specialization is really tough, but the opportunity is absolutely enormous. And, um, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see, um, where we end up, where we end up in the next, um, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And we are living in an amazing time. Uh, I, I, would, I would venture to say one of the, the greatest times in history um, on so many levels. And yes, there's lots of things that are messed up and then we need to fix those things. But if you look at the, the society at, at large and uh, the conditions, global uh, health conditions at large, uh, living conditions at large, we are living the best period in, in history of, of the world. Um, and, and it's only getting better and better and better. And I think just a quick reference to, to the fact that of design, I think we're living in a period of the greatest design as well. And maybe not in terms of the greatest architecture that's ever been created, but at, a, at, at the exposure, uh, across the world to the number of people who are interested in design and respect design and value design. There's never been more people in the world who value design than there are right now. And it's only, it's only getting more and more 
uh, uh, valued. No, it's, um, that's a neat, uh, a neat concept. I was working in New York city a little while ago and I, I think I posted this on Instagram and somebody was, um, uh, razzing me a little bit on, um, working on the sort of designing stuff for the, for the privileged few. And it was, I, it, I was, I've been working on Belvedere castle, the restoration of Belvedere castle in New York city. And, um, so I, some sort of snide comment about tax dollars at work and, um, the person who made it was nice enough. He was really just kidding, but I was like, no, 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 this is, this is, um, these are private donations, um, for a lot of, um, a lot of historic preservation is because somebody, people are passionate about yeah. something and, um, and they commit their own money to, towards it. So, so I think, um, I think their budget is about 75%, um, private donations for the central park conservancy and they conserve all, there's tons of stuff in New York city. It's, um, pretty, pretty neat. Um, and there's that in lots of different areas of the arts as well, right? Not just, um, not just architecture, but, uh, but music and, um, poetry even go figure. Yeah. Yeah. And fine art, you know, it's, there's a, then there's a whole nother rabbit hole we can go down on that one. So we'll, (laughs) we'll, we'll save that for another day. Um, I, I, I really, uh, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed this and I'd love to have you come back and, and talk more in the future. Um, but before we wrap up here, what's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Oh man. Um, I think one of the things that's tough is that, uh, people presume that what works for, for themselves will work for everybody else. So I don't want to, I don't want to get into that annoying, uh, presumptuous mode that annoys me when other people do it with me. Um, I have a brother who's not in business at all. And so he has lots of opinions on <laughs> architecture and my business and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, yeah, how, how you operate call centers is a little different than, than what I do. Um, although I appreciate his advice anyway, um, sibling so rivalry I, here on the sibling rivalry. I have two uh, brothers so I can, I can relate. Oh my gosh. My brother is so awesome. He has so far surpassed me. So it's, we're definitely not, uh, it's, it's no, it's no contest, not even worth being rivals. But, um, anyway, the, uh, the advice I'd have, um, I don't know, this, this might work for somebody might not, but, um, I recently rediscovered those, um, those Francis Ching novels. Do you know them from mm-hmm. architect? Do you remember sure. them from architect? Yeah, well, I remember. Yeah. So good. Uh, I've been leafing through those and, you know, we think we know the names of things. I, uh, knowing the names of things really, really helps. And we call things differently depending on what region we're in. And, um, and we are become familiar with particular building types, the ones that we tend to work on, but not others. So, um, have some fun with those Francis, Francis Ching books. Um, that might be a good way of, uh, increasing your knowledge, spend as much time as you can on job sites. Um, ask, ask questions. Oh, you know what? There's, this is something quit feeling bad about what you don't know. Um, I think this That's an is excellent a, one. This is a huge industry and there's a lot of, um, of real snobbery at play. Um, particularly in the relationship between architects and contractors. And, um, some of that is a little bit of a blue collar, white collar divide where, um, I think, I think architects on one hand, um, get a little bit, um, they don't, they're very sensitive to the comment of, of being, um, the criticism of being 
academic and in an office and, uh, you know, with fancy shoes and not really knowing the, the real struggle outside and how, how things actually come together and, um, can develop, we can develop kind of a chip on our shoulder about that, uh, when going in the field, because, especially because the, as we get older, the Delta between what we think we should know about construction and what we do know gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, and I think we can sometimes respond unkindly to, um, to, uh, contractors. And then on the flip side, I think contractors can develop a bit of a chip on their shoulder for the same reason. They perceive architects as being patronizing. Um, and I, that's a, that this like misunderstanding goes both ways and it's terrible for our profession. It really is. Um, I think in general, both sides want to respect each other and, um, I be the, make the first move. Don't, don't feel bad about what you don't know. And, um, and ask, ask questions, allow yourself to be taught by, uh, by people that, um, that you're afraid of being embarrassed in front of. We all get embarrassed. Just bite the bullet. Do it. Yeah. It's okay. I, I think I, I agree with you 100%. That's an excellent, uh, suggestion. Um, it's one of the reasons why I experienced construction, before I went to architecture school, I grew up with a father who was an auto mechanic and uncles who were builders. And when I told them that I was going to be an architect, they asked me why, mm-hmm. <laughs> why would you do that? <laughs> you know? And, and I, 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 I very early on saw that conflict between architects and, and builders. And I wanted to know why. And so I went out and I worked in the field and I learned how architects think about builders and how builders think about architects. And I learned the relationships. So now when I became, when I became an architect, I could go back and I can have that conversation with a contractor uh, and instantly defuse that, take that, take that right out of the, out of the conversation. And when I admit to them that I don't know, and that you do have 30, 40 years of experience, and I want you to tell me, you know, how, how we should do this, you get instant respect from that person. And the, oh yeah. People love because te- people like like teaching and they like feeling respected by being listened to. We all do. Yeah, and you don't and lose I, credibility at all by doing that. You actually gain you credibility. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get more. But we are so fearful about it. It is. Um, it's astounding to me. I, I, I like to start off pre-installation conferences by, um, kind of going over some of the really basics in terms of what we're trying to achieve. Like where's our wet dry line in this, in this window system and ask the, um, glazing contractor who's right there. Okay. So what we want to do is connect, make sure that our seals connect to this line. Um, we don't want anything anyway. Um, and taking it down to such a simple level, suddenly like the architects are like, Oh, okay. Now I understand what we're trying to do. And, um, now I understand what the constraints are. We can have a more productive, um, a productive meeting, but you start in these meetings and thinking in 3d is really hard. It's hard for architects and it's hard for contractors, even the ones who deal with this stuff all the time and, um, acknowledging that it's difficult and helping each other, uh, get to, uh, get to a point of understanding is, um, is actually, it makes for a better building. Yep. And it's, it's not, it's not embarrassing. No, or it shouldn't. it's not. It's and, and, and vulnerability is a, is a powerful tool that if you, yeah. if you use that vulnerability um, to your benefit, you will actually gain by doing that. Cause you'll learn for one, you'll, when you say, I don't know, teach me, then, then you'll learn and you'll know. So next time you won't not know, you'll know. Um, 
but it also it it also um, it affects the relationship that you have with that other person. But now they rather than there's a conflict, now they're a teacher, and yeah. and you, and a student teacher relationship uh, is and it goes both ways. It it, yeah, it, it opens it, up the contractor to also now say I don't know, and yeah. now the architect can teach the the contractor, and you have that open dialogue to solve problems. And so when that crisis comes because it, there's always a crisis in architecture when it's being built. Something happens that we didn't expect to happen. Now we have a relationship where we have an open line of communication with one another, and we can say, okay, well, there's a problem, and we're going to fix it together. And you're going yeah. to input, and I'm going to input, and we're going to come together with a solution, and we're going to solve this problem. And the owner benefits from that, you know, who's now a very happy client who's going to refer both of you. And so, Let's hope so. Yeah, very, very important. I, I have three rules that I share at the end of every podcast. Love, learn, and share. Love is caring for one another in every sense of the word. Uh, learn, learn everything that you know, everything that you can possibly know. Get, get, learn it all, and then share every single thing you know with somebody else. If if we all did that, the profession would get better, the world would get better. That's the only three things we need to remember: is love, learn, share. I like it. Spread the I word. I like it. <laughs> I will. I will. I will go forth and do likewise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Christine Williamson, thank you very much for hanging out with me here on the Entree Architect podcast. Um, your Instagram, once again, is at um, Building Science Fight Club. Go sign up and, and say, hey, you were on the podcast and I really enjoyed it. So go over there and, and, uh, and, and follow Christine and, uh, and comment over there. Like and comment. Uh, yeah, yeah. This isn't uh, just, I'm going to jump in. I know we're wrapping up here. Yeah, but um, no problem. I never did this to get a whole bunch of followers. I'm not a Kim Kardashian of building <laughs> science. So don't. Um, Another great brand, though. No, no, <laughs> let's not do true. that. <laughs> uh, but this, the point isn't to, to get a, a follower count. It's more an invitation to be part of a community. Not, um, I, it's weird to say, um, like, follow me. Don't follow me. Follow yourself. Do your own thing. <laughs> uh, but join. Uh, I, would, I would be delighted if, um, if more architects joined, um, joined that community. Join the club. Join, That's right. Join, join the club. Join the club. That's there's your tagline. Join the club. Join the club. I I love it. I uh, I'm over there, and I'm going to definitely comment more and be part of that community. And I and I invite you to come in and join us over at the Entree Architect Facebook group because that's a really active group, and that's where I first learned about you. And so, if you're not a member in there, um, I invite. I'm not you. a member of Facebook, so I'll have to um I'll have to. It's uh, worth it. It's worth it to even if you. Even that? if you don't sign up for anything else, okay. just sign up for that and join that group and then just ignore everything else. It's worth it. I, 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 <laughs> trust me. There's a lot of people who, who join Facebook just to join that group. Just for that. So. Some people tell me the same about, about uh, Instagram. I have a, because Instagram and Facebook are, are the same company now. Yes, so I have yeah. a Facebook account, but I've never, uh, yeah. never logged So then all in, you so. have to do is join the group. You won't even have to do anything else because you're already, you're already signed up for Facebook. All right. Well, we'll add it to the... Add it to the rotation of fun things I do. Yeah, yeah. So thank, <laughs> thanks for being here. This is really, really great. I appreciate it. Uh, and thanks for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Well, thanks, Mark. All right, have a good one. You too. So I have a mission for you today, an, an Entree Architect mission. If you're on Instagram, I want you to post a selfie. Yeah, I know you're not into selfies, but post it anyway. Post a picture of yourself in where you are right now listening to this episode if you don't want to post a picture of yourself just post an image of where you are right now and tag me at entree architect tag christine at building science fight club 
and let Christine know that we thank her for sharing her knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. This was a great episode. I really enjoyed speaking with Christine. I learned so much, and I'm looking forward to, to learning more from Christine. And while you're at it, while you're tapping the keys and punching the buttons, I want you to go to entrearchitect.com slash profit course, entrearchitect.com slash profit course, and go check out what we have brewing over at the website. Don't struggle with your financial frustration for the rest of your life. Instead, I want you to build a powerful financial management system that works for your architecture firm. Can you imagine what you will create with a thriving, profitable architecture firm? You can have the the architecture firm that you dreamed you'd have when you started this thing, right? Imagine if you created a financial plan that would earn you 20% net profit this year. Imagine that. Imagine if you paid all your employees, imagine if you paid all your expenses, you paid yourself, and you still had 20% net profit at the end of the year. Could you imagine seeing those dollars in your bank account? How much would 20% net profit be for your architecture firm? How much would 20% of your net revenue be for your architecture? Is that $10,000? Is it $20,000? $50,000? You know, when you have profit, it's yours, right? It's yours to keep and do what you want with it. How would that change your business? How would that change your life? Are you earning 20% now? Well, we've built a course, a comprehensive course, the most comprehensive course that we have built to this point at Entree Architect, and I would love for you to go check it out. We've worked really hard on it, and it may just change the way you do business. It may just change your life. It's at entrearchitect.com slash profit course. I'd love you to go check it out and let me know what you think at entrearchitect.com slash profit course. If you are an entrepreneur architect who runs or owns your own small firm, then you are an Entree Architect. And I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. 
And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.